1: Doing a little bit better than maybe I had given a credit for just a few minutes ago. The S&P up about eight-tenths of 1%. Uh, a lot of questions for investors out there as we flirt with uh, bear market territory in the S&P 500. Maybe chief among them is recession. Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer and Co-Founder of Defiance ETFs, joins us. Sylvia, how are you thinking about that? Again, I think maybe over the last week or two, one of the more frequent questions we had is, okay, the Fed is raising interest rates. We get that. But put in context, the risk of a recession that might result from uh, this rising interest rate environment. How do you guys think about that at Defiance?
2: Good morning, Paul. Well, I, I think that a lot of what is going on in the market is, is very much, you know, near-term panic, fear, um, some capitulation. And that naturally spurs these, these thoughts and, and, again, just fear that there will be an inflation sooner or inflation recession sooner than, rather than later um, you know, my, my thought on that is that we're certainly in a deep correction, if not a short-term bear market. We're, we're pretty close. You know, NASDAQ is there. S&P 500 is, uh, flirting with that 20% level intraday. Um, it's, it's, it's got about half of its components below 25% or so. Put call ratios are high, you know, consumer sentiment. So there are all these things that are just sort of scary and, and feel terrible in the near term. But, you know, I don't think we're at that point where, a recession is necessarily right around the corner. And the reason why is because the economic backdrop still remains pretty healthy. You know, you have a hot labor market. It's boosting a little bit. Um, you have, you know, trillions of dollars in savings from, from a strong consumer, strong corporate balance sheets. And we don't have a credit crisis. You know, this isn't 2008. But banks are sort of stable and strong. And there, there are good things that will help us sort of weather the storm, if you will.
3: Sylvia, how much does this bear market talk really matter. We had Abigail Doolittle, our market's reporter on, uh, just a few minutes ago and she said, Well, you know, it's really just psychological. It doesn't matter that much. Do you agree? Well, I I think it matters
2: for, for people who are, who are selling. (laughs) I think that, you know, that, that crowd is, is essentially, um, you know, taking losses and, and they, they really shouldn't, you know, so I I think um, Abigail makes a great point. I expect, I expect that a lot of this is sort of psychological and that, you know, we're, we're just watching the sort of market fall and it, and it feels terrible. And so you have traders sitting on the sidelines, but where it does matter is that, you know, there are opportunities that can be had now, right? So If you are an investor that has cash on the sidelines, and you have a long term investment horizon, you could be missing out on an opportunity of fear and panic keeping you on the sidelines, you know, that also keeps things sort of repressed um, for longer periods of time as well, if we don't see investors coming back in. But what's interesting about, you know, sort of this bear market or, or non bear market, whatever it is, is, you know, there are sort of two types of people out there, there are traders who can benefit in the short term. And what I would say is that, those traders tend to be high frequency experts, algo guys, you know, the hedge funds. So invest in, in the corporation. Don't try to do it yourself. It's, it's too tricky now. But if you're a long-term investor and you have a long-term outlook, you know, buying stocks on the discount, again, with the odds of a recession still being fairly low with this unique setup in the economy, it is probably not the worst idea if you're looking for, you know, sort of quality and strong balance sheet. A lot of names are on sale now.
1: You know, I had a phone call from my uh, financial advisor on Friday advising me that we're going to be taking some ta- uh, tax loss, tax losses on Friday, just letting me know. I was like, oh, great. But that was the first <laughs> time in 14 years we had had that conversation about taking tax losses on, and it was on my ETFs as well. So are there ETFs out there that are actually doing well that, unfortunately, I was not in?
2: You know, it well depends on the time frame. It depends on when you when you sort of got in and, um, and and when you're getting out. You know, I, I definitely think that there are some ETFs that investors can look at now that are poised to do well. You know, in terms of well, I think that the, the pullback of the market is, is pretty widespread right now. I mean oil, gas and energy ETFs have, have sort of done well um, with you know with sort of the inflation there and geopolitics, but I also think that ETFs that are poised to do well do exist, and I think a lot of those will be in the travel reopen um, type of spaces. You know, I think that that's a good trade. You have consumer spending going from goods to services. I think that you know the longer term outlook on things like you know alternative energy resources, things like hydrogen, things like solar, um, could be interesting to investors now. So you know, there are definitely places to look. And look, I would even just argue that that. You know, simple cues and SMH and just just, you know, sort of plain old technology and and, um, you know, um, sort of larger market cap semiconductor ETFs are interesting just because they've been absolutely hammered from their all time highs. Um, so they're poised to do well in the future. But to answer your question now, it's probably more around the commodity space and around those things.
3: Sylvia, what about levered ETFs? I think there was uh, some chat on the street a couple weeks ago that levered ETFs and their liquidation was uh, hurting the market and, and kind of snowballing some of the selling. Where does that fall in in the grand scheme of things?
2: Yeah, so having you know having a background of uh, I spent more than a decade at a levered a inverse ETF provider direction, um, you know what I can say is that a lot of people sort of misunderstand how how the trade works, right? If, if you have a bull fund. Um, that is buying you often have a bear fund that is selling or vice versa um, you know there's, there's a lot left and there's been you know numerous studies done and, and the impact on the close of lever number ctf funds whether it's you know direction pro shares or kind of the the lion's share of it it, it, it's, it tends to be well under one percent or so um so you know i i think it's, it's it's it sounds good but in theory the math doesn't usually play out for it to be true
1: All right, Sylvia, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts here on these markets and on the ETF space. Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer, Co-Founder at Defiance ETFs here.
4: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Steeple dot com. That's stife dot com.
5: Steeple Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: We have a good green day on the screen for equities but you know you take a look at the total return aggregate for u.s corporates minus minus 13 percent year to date just brutal out there in the world of fixed income and credit um let's talk to somebody who does this stuff for a living randy schwimmer co-head of senior lending and a senior senior managing director churchill asset management randy anywhere for you and your team to hide year to date 2022 and what are your thoughts for the remainder of the year
5: well, it's great to be with you. And actually, we're not hiding at all. We're out, we're out there investing, and uh, you know, this is a time when private markets are actually shining. So we're seeing a, a reset, as you mentioned, You know, and it's been now happening for a while, kind of a repeat of March of 2020, when we weren't really sure where the public markets were going. Um, we, we have more recession worries to deal with now, I think, as the Fed is increasing interest rates and uh, trying to battle inflation. Um, and so that 's now causing concerns in the public markets about you know what's going to happen with earnings and so forth and if, if uh, uh, rates start to get too high, what's the impact on the consumer we're starting to see some slowing in some areas but But private capital in general um, has been very constructive, particularly during this time we 've actually seen a number of uh, deals that were stalled in the high yield bond market uh, being taken out by private capital managers who are stepping in with deals like nielsen and CDK Global and even Peloton, um, and, and stepping in and actually uh, refinancing some deals that that were stuck because of what's going on in the public market. So I think, you know, the the private capital because of the long-term nature of both the assets and liabilities um, that that are locked in, in in our markets, as well as the significant hold levels uh, that we've that we've achieved because of you know great fundraising activity in general over the last couple of years, uh, private credit's has actually been very constructive during this uh, otherwise uh, volatile market.
3: This otherwise volatile market, I, I want to dive into what you said about the high yield space specifically, because to me, I feel like with all this recession talk, if there was indeed a recession coming or even on the horizon, you would see it show up in the credit market first. But the credits, credit spreads haven't widened to what we've seen in previous recessions. Is that a disconnect that you're keeping an eye on?
5: Yeah, and in fact, we haven't really seen that in the private market as well. Now, in fairness, you know the middle market, the smaller companies tend to be a lagging indicator. Uh, so the the large cap, more highly traded businesses are probably going to see the impact first. Um, you know, we're not seeing really a slowdown. Certainly not in our portfolio. Revenues for our portfolio companies continue to be strong. Um, now, again, you know we'll see what happens during the rest of the year. Some of the impact. Uh, particularly with in, inflation-sensitive uh, areas such as food and energy and commodities. Those kinds of things are, are still top of mind for us from a portfolio perspective, and we're very focused on the potential of higher costs down the road. Supply chain issues continue to be um, at the forefront, uh, potentially compressed margins as a result of some of these higher costs in certain areas. But in areas where we're um, you know being very constructive, for example uh, healthcare and technology and business services, these companies are continue to do pretty pretty well and I think you're starting to see even the public markets today a little bit of kind of reassessment um, in what we mean by a slowdown and what really the markets are worried about but i I do think that um, private capital will continue to be uh, very very positive as we move forward uh, you know and even in an environment where some of the uh, concerns, with, whether whether it's inflation or interest rates, that's something that we've been really dealing with all along, particularly going through COVID. So I don't really see any change in our own posture.
1: Randy, how about as interest rates uh, continue to rise and there's talk of a slowing economy, maybe even a, a recession, what are the leverage, are you, have you changed the kind of the leverage levels or that you're willing uh, to go to the market
5: with? Well, we we always are sensitive to those kinds of things. We we tend to turn down probably ninety five percent of the transactions that come in the door because of that reason. Um, I think the focal point paul that that is uh, as I mentioned something that's of concern is really the cost structures of these businesses because you're, as you're looking forward to your point you know if you start to see food and energy in certain commodities where costs are going to be higher you 're not going to be leveraging those businesses the same you would have you know nine months ago twelve months ago and so yes um, You know, uh, more leverage in in companies are things that we're we're always focused on. We're going to be very um, cautious about that going forward. But in in many cases where companies are doing well, where the private equity sponsors that we're partnering with are putting in significant capital below our structures uh, because they believe in these businesses, those are companies that we continue to lean into and we believe in. And I think that, you know, the outlook for the rest of the year continues to be good. Investors that we are serving – Uh, seem to indicate that they have the same or even higher interest in private credit, again, because it tends to be, you know, uh, the oil on troubled waters, which we're seeing right now, and people believe that that that's going to be positive going forward.
1: All right, Randy, good stuff. Really appreciate getting an update on the private equity and the senior lending business into the private equity space. Randy Schrimmer, co-head of senior lending and senior managing director at Churchill Asset Management. You know, one of the bricks in the wall of worry, and there are many, is this thing called stagflation I started hearing about over the last couple of months. So I had to go back into my economics book from business school and figure out what the heck is stagflation again. And I guess it's kind of like inflation but slowing to no growth. And that just doesn't sound very good. But that's certainly one thing that's been roiling these markets. Let's get the latest. Liz McCormick, global fixed income and foreign exchange reporter for Bloomberg News, joins us, I like to say, live in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. That's good stuff. Liz, I stagflation, is it a thing for this market? Are investors really worried about it? And, you know, what are you hearing about it?
6: Uh, Yeah, it's definitely uh, something that people are worried about. And I've heard even uh, senior investors say we had to crack out our textbooks and remember what this is. And I think uh, it's become an amalgam of different explanations now with a lot of people saying, hey, like, if you're telling me stagflation in this world is slowing growth and high inflation, well, that's what we have. I mean, I don't know think that's the textbook explanation but so people are worried about that you know obviously the Fed is worried so they're you know kind of stepped up this tightening path but yeah people are thinking about that
3: so Liz how do you get out of a stagflationary environment
6: Well, I think that's what the Fed is doing. Like you've heard uh, Chairman Powell talk about, he thinks he can pull off tightening, bringing down inflation without causing recession. Although he's changed his tone a little from slow growth to slowish growth to Mm -hmm. it'll take a little bit of pain, right? But that's their ideal goal is to say, hey, the labor market's really strong. It can take these higher rates. We can bring inflation under control, but we don't have to completely implode the economy. Although, as you guys know, history doesn't always go with that. Usually, <laughs> Fed tightening, there's a recession, but we'll, we'll see what happens.
1: You know, the Fed calls uh, rightfully uh, into uh, the discussion, the strong labor uh, marketplace, which it certainly is, if you look at unemployment, just for example. But one of the risks, when you do talk about the labor market, is wage inflation kind of spiraling a little bit. And I guess we're running at wage inflation five-ish percent, but there's a concern out there that could get a little bit hotter um, is a market concerned about that, do you think?
6: Well, that's something people talk about because also I was talking to a colleague today that you know, when people get these raises, say they got a 5% raise, they're not so much the next year going to say, oh, I'll give that back, right? Right. So that's what the Fed is worried that this gets entrenched. So I I think that's on the radar, though. I've heard some Fed officials say, we don't see the wage price spiral as of yet. You know, we want to contain inflation expectations, which have come off a lot from the kind of peak we had, um, but, yeah, you know, if those wages get entrenched, that's a problem. You know, there's two jobs basically for every opening, and that's what Chairman Powell's has talked about, concern, too hot labor market.
1: And I saw just a new story today. I guess the Bank of America, their hourly employees now going up to $25 an hour. So, yeah, I, th- I think the official minimum wage is still $7 and 25 percent, but it seems right. like Walmart and, uh, you know, you know uh, Amazon have set the real – minimum wage at $15 for all intents and purposes, but now you've got You mean like,
3: You mean like the uh, like the bank tellers and the, I the guess, clerks? I guess, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh,
1: Very interesting. So we're seeing it out yes. there. Um, yes. Just don't know if it's problematic yet.
3: I was gonna say, that used to be like, if you did like a junior banker salary divided by hours, they worked, it came down to like 25 an hour, which <laughs> right. is interesting. Um, Liz, let's talk about the dollar if we can. Uh, we are seeing this new dynamic where you see a weaker dollar, yields kind of resume their march higher. Why the separation?
6: Well, today it's interesting, and I heard you guys talking earlier, but we had Christine Lagarde kind of pre-announce, which was a surprise, that, you know, they're going to be stopping their bond buying. They want to get rates off the negative level by, I think, the third quarter, she said. Yeah. So, you know, the dollar, for a while, the Fed was the most aggressive in town, you know, even though other central banks were tightening, and definitely the ECB was the lagger, now you have – Lagarde stepping up. So I think there's the feeling that, you know, hey, the other central banks and there's others that are kind of increasing their hawkish rhetoric, that it's, you know, that divergence isn't as extreme. Plus the dollar had such a torrid rise, right? You know, I mean, let's just talk about dollar long saying like in any market, hey, let's take some profits. It's come a long way, how far can it go? So I think there's the two things, flows and, you know, the divergence narrowing.
1: You mentioned ECB starting to move here. Is it still a valid concern to claim that the US Federal Reserve is, quote unquote, behind the curve?
6: Well, the Fed would argue not so much, right? I think Bullard has said we're not so much behind the curve. Um, I think with where the market has priced in what the Fed will do, which Chairman Powell has kind of pointed to a lot. Hey, listen, the market's doing what you know we want, and they've priced in all these hikes to come. Yep. So I think if you go by that, and the, the QT is starting next month, where they unwind you know, some of the debt on their balance sheet, they would argue we're not as behind the curve as we were. Um, that's where the question is, like I was listening to one of the guests earlier talk about, Do they have the room to hike maybe 50 basis points the next two meetings and then stop and look around? Maybe, but not if inflation is too hot. They might have to
3: just keep going. But Liz, is it enough for the ECB to finally catch up to the fed or at least that's the way it's being framed when you have the boe uh, that's kind of doing their own thing you have a pboc that's actually looking to stimulate um and a boj that's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place
6: right well the boj has kind of been stuck for a long time right, <laughs> right. right. exactly yeah. um but yeah no i mean clearly i think the fed in the in the last months has been the most kind of laser focused we're on a mission, we're getting to neutral, you know, we're gonna get inflation down, uh, that yeah, they stand out. But yeah, these o- other central banks are a little more hodgepodge, you know, but I, I think Lagarde's, especially because she did it in that blog, you know, kind of yeah. getting ahead of it was pretty telling.
1: And you know, you look at the, the work function, I mean, WIRP, World Interest Rate Probability, still looking for eight 25% basis point cuts by the end of the year. Hikes, right? Hi, hikes, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, hikes, thank you.
6: Markets rally on Sweeney's call. Yeah. yeah, exactly, that's what I mean, that if, if the Fed, and that's what they're kind of looking at, says look at how much the market's priced in, you know, we're getting there, it's, it's filtering through to expectations, which is what we want. Um, yeah, but it's like that nebulous neutral. They've said we want to get to neutral, some people say it's about two and a half. They're going to feel their way as they get there, and that I think you're going to see some more volatility at that point.
1: All right, Liz, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Liz McCormick, Global Fixed Income and Foreign Exchange Reporter for Bloomberg News, joining us live, which we really appreciate, in the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio.
4: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
5: Steeple Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: Deanna Baker and Ed Hammond had a story out on the Bloomberg Terminal this morning. There are m reporters. They break a lot of news. They're out there saying Broadcom is in talks to buy VMware. I mean, VMware is a big company. It's got a $40 billion market cap. So this would be a major deal in the in that business. Let's bring in somebody who does this stuff for a living, Woo Ho. He's a technology analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Wooj, thanks so much for joining us here. What do you make of this deal? VMware is a big company.
7: Uh, the deal actually makes sense uh, from, from a Broadcom perspective. Um, they've been embarking on a, um, a revenue diversi- a diversification strategy for the past couple of years, dating back to 2018 with the acquisition of uh, CA. And um, if you uh, listen to um, Broadcom's last earnings call, they said that they had the capacity to do a deal uh, that's fairly sizable, and uh, VMware uh, somewhat fits the bill.
3: So that's from a deal synergies perspective, but there's another player here that might get in the way. Michael Dell, a 40% stake in VMware. Can you walk us through why he
7: might be a hurdle? Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily that he's, he's uh, a hurdle, right? Uh, the, the one thing that I do think that, given that he is the 40% uh, holder, as well as Silver Lake being a 10% uh, 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 holder of it, uh, they want the right valuation. Right, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why the stock is up uh, about twenty percent. Uh, the valuation that that we pegged uh, as part of our note earlier today was that it's probably going to be an enterprise value of about sixty to seventy billion. So that's another ten percent, fifteen percent from here. So, uh, uh, Michael Dell isn't going to uh, sell VMware for cheap.
1: Boy, I wish I were the M&A banker for Broadcom. Um, these guys do a lot of deals. What's the strategy behind? you know, some of their acquisitions, Wujin?
7: Sure. Um, a couple couple of things, right? Uh, scale up on the areas that they do uh, do well and, and, and do best. Shed the, um, the non-performing assets. And then and, and really try to optimize the, the operating uh, margin. These guys have stunning operating margins. If, if uh, across the semiconductor or any space, um, you know, uh, operating margins are 60%. Uh, and uh, every deal that they make, they try to uh, shed uh, excess costs uh, to bring their operating margin uh, to that 60% level. So, for example, um, in, in the analysis that we did, uh, we, we think that without any uh, deal uh, operating um, expense synergies, they could probably do roughly 7% EPS accretion. Um, VMware has about 31% operating margin here. Now, if they can. Uh, shed some of the excess cost for VMware, they, they can make this deal very, very creative over the next two to three years uh, just, just by uh, uh, bringing VMware's uh, operating uh, uh, levels closer to Broadcom's. I'm just reading
3: some uh, Bloomberg Intelligence research here. It says Broadcom can do an all-cash deal if necessary. This is a theme we're seeing among a lot of the tech players that they're sitting on so much cash that they're kind of deploying it in this M&A space is there a broader trend here we need to be aware of or is this a more idiosyncratic Broadcom VMware story
7: well uh, you know what, what are the themes um that that we're thinking about for, from from an M&A standpoint uh, is that if you do have excess cash, uh, might as well use it. Um, if you're not going to get the returns on that cash. Now, what what Broadcom may have to do is to raise uh, debt uh, to make this deal done. Now, uh, some of the other news reports I've read was that it might be an, an, uh, a combination of cash and, and stock. Uh, but if if I do, you know, if I if I think about it, you know, for, from from a, a, a from a valuation or, or net debt to an EBITDA standpoint they can really take up the deal much higher if they really wanted to, if there is a competitive bid. Right now, I don't think there's a competitive bid. Uh, but um, you know, from a, a post-deal perspective, I, I get roughly a 3.5x uh, uh, net debt or leverage ratios uh, for these guys. So they can comfortably do the deal and possibly continue to uh, uh, fund their capital returns program.
1: All right, Wujin, let's step back a little bit. You've been covering the tech space uh, for a long time now. Give us a sense of kind of where we are in in tech spending. I don't know if the supply chains are still an issue, but give us just a sense of as you step back and look across the the tech stack, where are we kind of in the cycle? How are things going for the big names? Sure,
7: Um, I actually view it as a, a, a tale of two cities right? Um, the overarching theme, at least in, in, in the near term, is that the supply chain has thrown a monkey wrench to uh, some of this spending. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that uh, on the consumer side, we do have some cons- um, inflationary concerns heading into the second half. I'm, I'm fairly concerned about uh, European tech spending, uh, China tech spending, in, in, uh, consumer tech spending in the near term, and that's going to affect uh, the PC space. And, and some of the names that we have called out in the past um, are, are Dell and HHP, uh, HPQ, uh, but on the other end of, of the ledger, we have enterprise uh, tech spending. And we're still coming off a period where companies that have under underinvested in tech in in the pre-pandemic period are finally um, uh, finally needing to invest coming out of it. And even though there might be a recessionary environment going into 2023, Uh, They still need to invest so they can avoid another potential black swan event. And 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 if we look at orders, not sales, right? Because sales are probably impacted by uh, the supply chain. If we look at orders, we are seeing order uh, order growth that are 200 to 300 times um, over the past two three quarters. Right. Which and and you're going to see, you know, that that orders are going to convert into sales sometime or another in 23 or 24.
1: All right, good stuff. As always, Wu Jin-ho, Senior Hardware Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, one of the top tech analysts on Wall Street. We have one of the top tech research teams on Wall Street at Bloomberg Intelligence. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller.